Radio News. Welcome back, everybody. It is Encounter with God time on The Breakfast Show, which means we're about to get into our Bible study this morning. Before we do, jump into the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. Let's go to uh, our 400-point question. All right, for 400 points. How many years, according to John's revelation, will Jesus reign with the saints in heaven before Satan's final judgment on earth? Ooh, this is this deep one. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. And if you do know the answer, you can net yourself a book from our selection of bargain books so you can get those points in the board and continue on and get every question correct and win every prize. But again, that question was, how many years, according to John's revelation, will Jesus reign with the saints in heaven before Satan's final judgment on earth? Goes very well with our Bible study this morning. Really? Yes, it does. Oh, right in line. You know that uh, Hebrews chapter 9 is all about this kind of stuff, but we're going to find it this morning. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and actually, this this uh, the direction our Bible study is going is kind of prompted from a text message that I got after the show yesterday that sort of got my wheels churning. I love that. And yeah. so, yeah, we're going to look at some issues in uh, in Hebrews chapter 9. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, that's that. Let's go to text messages for today. Mm-hmm. See what we've got here. We'd mm-hmm. love to hear from you guys, so send us some text messages. Uh, okay, religion war. I can't find it. This is this is somebody who uh, who does a bit of study as well. I can't find in history. Oops. Here we go. I can't find in history a war that religion was not partly responsible. World War One, World War Two, as you said, were financed by the Vatican throughout history. From the 15th century, the Jesuits behind every war in whatever country they were in, uh, they actually got thrown out from every country they were in because of it. Well, no, they didn't get thrown out of them all, but certainly many of them. Uh, they didn't get thrown out of the United States, even though Lincoln threatened to. Uh, he certainly talked about it, but never did. Uh, but later they found their way back in. Today, most of the advisors to the leaders of the world are Jesuits or Jesuit trained. Must be a coincidence. Yeah, I don't have uh, figures on that. Um, I would be interested to see the, the, the research that backs that up. But uh, certainly, certainly the case here in Australia and in the United States. Uh, freedom of speech in universities, is there, uh, sorry, there isn't any. As discussion before, as discussed before, the pendulum will soon swing the other way and religion led by the papacy will come back in full force as biblical prophecy tells us. You know what? It's an interesting thing. The papacy is swung far left at the moment as well. Mm. Maybe it won't have to swing back. Maybe it'll just come from the left. Left left-wing governments have been, you know, incredibly totalitarian. Yeah, and authoritarian, like we see that. Like socialism is like like the, the in, ultimate in of totalitarianism is like yeah, authoritarian. Mix left-wing. that with religion and what do you get? Mm, be interesting to see how things play out. But anyway, um, the Bible does say that totalitarian government will be how it will be at the end of the time, whether it's left or right. Mm-hmm. Uh, religion will be, uh, come back in full swing, as prophecy tells. Hard to believe, but this will soon this will happen sooner than we think. The final moments will be rapid ones. The dark ages repeated for true Christians, uh, Sabbath keepers, as worshiping on Sabbath will be outlawed worldwide. Oh, anyway, the little blue shed, Tanya. God has blessed you with a wonderful ministry, the amazing power mm. of one person led by the Holy Spirit. Loved how God led you through the difficult times mm. to make you the Christian woman you have become. I will definitely look up at your ministry online. Wow. 
Praise God. It's I think so everybody inspiring. should go to uh, littlebluehed.info and you'll find out everything you need about the big ministry that Little Blue Shed is doing. This, mm. is, this is not just sort of some little tin pot ministry that's happening in a corner of Uganda. This is a massive ministry wow. that's doing amazing things. So uh, get behind it and support it. Okay, flooding. The news are talking about the worst flooding in a thousand years. Truly biblical scenarios. Let's pray for all those going through it must be horrific. My old suburb got flooded some years ago. Not a good feeling. Rivers flowing around me. Mm. You know, and this is what I come to. We all know what Bible prophecy says about the end of time. Mm. We all know at the end of time you're going to have climate change. Mm-hmm. Why do I find people who are arguing about climate change? And what I find is this, is that we become partisan in our politics because you know, there's a there's a particular part of our politics that might like that we, we see is more aligned with our faith, mm-hmm. and then we accept everything that that side of politics says. Yeah, that's right. No, the Bible says climate change is a very real thing that takes place at the end of time. This is what we should be expecting. Mm-hmm. If we were not seeing climate change, and if we were not seeing an increase in disasters and extreme weather. You know, don't get me telling me this stuff is all cyclical. I know that there are cycles of climate down through history. We all know that. We all get that. But uh, this is an increase in this, a J-curving of this is what we should be expecting right now. Yeah, and cyclical climate models are mostly based on evolution. So, yes, there's a bit of an uncomfortable truth, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> ah, hey, hey, hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about that mm-hmm. one. <laughs> I find so many Christians fighting against, oh, no such thing as climate change. Yeah, it's all cycle, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. No, read your Bible. <laughs> yeah, Base bro. your understanding of the world on Scripture. Mm-hmm. And there you've got your answer. Okay, somebody somebody sending a text message through here. Climate can change plus weather control? Question mark. Question mark. Question oh, mark. oh. Well, the, the reality is, is that it's like taking place before us. Like, I think the, the side weather control. Of, we, weather control. Yeah. Is that like like chemtrails and stuff? No, nah, chemtrails is um, a different. That's. That's a pretty out there one, to be yeah. honest. Uh, and I know people are going to call me now, but you can go ahead. I will have this argument with you. <laughs> um, climate change is basically weather warfare. Mm-hmm. The idea behind it is to manipulate the weather so that you can you know, create environments in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether or not it's taken place, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. It's certainly something that um, has been heavily investigated, but... The way that climate works is you can't really attack another nation with the climate without getting attacked yourself. That's right. So if you try and mess, but have people messed with the weather? I would not be surprised. Yeah, sure. I would be surprised if they haven't tried. Yeah. That's people. Is that why it's that's raining so beings. much? Have people been messing with our weather? That's the that's the scary one. It's like, let's flood Australia. Yeah. No, I think it's just, I just think it's our world falling apart, to be honest. It's We're just totally. getting near the end of time and our world is, is, is growing old like a garment. The Bible says is wearing out. We've polluted it to the max mm-hmm. and this is the result you get. Mm-hmm. You cannot expect anything else when you read what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. All right, so had this interesting, bit of an interesting, uh, a couple of text messages that uh, got my wheels churning in relationship to the judgment. Oh, okay. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 9. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, it's very, very clear that Paul understands a pre-advent, post-crucifixion judgment. Yes. 
And you see hints of it all the way through where he mm. talks about the sanctuary uh, and Jesus going into the sanctuary and when he, you know, when, when, when he talks when when he implies the mediatorial work of Christ during the judgment by mm-hmm. talking about you know the altar of incense in mm-hmm. the most holy place and stuff like this uh, he obviously has a very very clear understanding of the judgment and so I did some thinking about it and I thought okay but you know a lot of Christians would say that the judgment takes place at death mm-hmm. why do they think that then I did some other thinking I'm like well a lot of other Christians say that uh, the judgment takes place after the return of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. why do they think that Okay, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, where we were. Hebrews chapter 9, and we are going to read verse 27. If you could read that one for us, please. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, the Bible says, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Okay, so according to that verse, when is the judgment for you? After someone dies. After you die. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, if you believe in the immortality of the soul, uh-huh. that you either go straight to heaven or hell or limbo or purgatory, depending on uh, what your faith background is, mm-hmm. then you can't actually receive your reward until you've had a judgment, right? Yeah. And you can't have a judgment until you're dead or your probation is closed because, well, that's unfair. What if you change your mind after judgment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... From that perspective, the only practical way you can have a judgment is, well, the moment you die. Yeah. Judgment happens and then you either go to heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. And so if you link this verse with the immortality of the soul, then you have judgment at death. Mm-hmm. But does this verse demand judgment at death? Let's say that you don't believe in the immortality of the soul, you believe in the resurrection instead mm-hmm. at the second coming. Uh, does this verse demand that judgment takes place the moment you die? No, it doesn't. No, because it says it uses the word after. Yeah. That does not specify a specific time other than it is after death. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so I understand where people are coming from with the immortality of the soul and the judgment. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to hand out rewards, either you know, rewards before you have judgment. Uh-huh. That, uh, that makes no sense at all. Okay, so what about those that have judgment at the end of time? Uh-huh. Where do they find that? Well, they find that in Matthew. Let's head over to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 25. Matthew 25. Oh, classic. Matthew 25. If we turn the Bible pages and... Yeah. Okay, Matthew 25 and... And verse 31, 32. 31. Yeah, 33. 31, 32, and 33. Yeah. Yeah, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit upon the glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. So when does the Bible say that the judgment happens here? Um, it says that he comes in his glory, he sits on the throne, and then he separates his sheep. So that's after the second coming? Yeah. You've got judgment after the second coming? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a problem. Sure. Because if you go to Matthew chapter 16, it says the exact opposite. Oh. Matthew chapter 16. 
Uh, and so in Matthew 25, you've got the judgment and the rewards being handed out mm-hmm. after the second coming. Mm-hmm. Matthew chapter 16, let's go to uh, verse 27. In Matthew 16 and verse 27, the Bible says, For the Son of Man will come with his angels in glory, in the glory of his Father and will judge all according to their deeds. Okay, so he comes in the glory with his Father and he judges everybody... Uh, Yours says judges? Yeah, mine says, and will judge all according to their deeds. What does yours say? Dodgy trend. That's so dodgy. Ah, oh, come on. Mine says reward. Okay. Now, you can't hand out rewards unless you've had a judgment. Sure. So the judgment obviously takes place before Jesus comes back. Just, 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 just to put Matthew chapter 16 in context mm-hmm. so that you can see that there is a reason why I'm going with a better translation here. Uh, let's go to Revelation, and please, I hope your translation has got Tw- this one Is right. it Revelation 22, 22 12. 12. Yep. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm on it. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12. The Bible says, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward yes, with me to you. repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So judgment has clearly taken place before Jesus comes back because you don't hand out rewards until you've had judgment. Sure, yep. Then how come the Bible says that judgment takes place after Jesus comes back? The answer is because it does. Oh, okay. And the the, the clue to this was actually in our quiz. Oh, it was. Because the judgment judgment comes in three stages. Mm -hmm. And the first stage of the judgment is what you would call the investigative judgment. Mm-hmm. Where the lives of every person investigated to find out whether did they give their life to Jesus or not. Uh, the Bible says, you know, that God will bring every work into judgment, whether it be every, and it, along with every secret thing, whether it be good or bad. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and and the Bible says that you know when 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 the the king came in, he came in to see the guests and to see who had on the wedding garment or not. Mm-hmm. That's that's a work of investigation right there. So we've got that in many places in the Bible, where God looks to see who is saved or not. And it's not that God needs to find out because God already knows. But what He is doing is He is holding the judgment in open court. The Bible says in Daniel chapter seven, in front of the whole universe, so that the whole mm-hmm. universe can see that His judgments are fair and they are just and they are righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that removes all questions from anybody's mind so that sin will never come back and people will always have the power of choice. Yeah, well. Okay, so uh, that's what we've got happening there with the, the, the judgment. Then you've got the judgment of review. It takes place during mm-hmm. the thousand years where the books are opened again. Mm-hmm. And that's on behalf of you and I and yeah. people like us who were not in heaven when the investigative judgment took place. Mm-hmm. And then you have the execution of the judgment that takes place at the end of the thousand years where, yes, the, the, the sheep and the goats are truly separated, one mm-hmm. on either side, just, mm-hmm. just, just like that, uh, and the wicked are destroyed. And the purpose of that one is, well, you know, let's see if God got anything wrong. Let's see if there's a good enough lawyer somewhere out there amongst the wicked to stand up and say, um, actually, point of order, you got this one wrong, and... Uh, when the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, they are confessing that they are lost and that they cannot be saved. Yeah, righteous and wicked. Absolutely. Mm. All right, so we've got three stages of the judgment. So all of these verses, every verse that we have read is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. 
And what you have is three stages of a pre-Advent judgment that begins not at the cross, but after the cross. Mm. And that's what the Bible says, and that's what Paul consistently says all the way down through. Mm. And if you look at the book of Revelation as well, I know this isn't study on Revelation, but it clearly lies, lays out a timeline there. You know, Revelation 14, it's got the message of God's people at the end time. The hour of judgment has come. That's right. And then you get to Revelation. Go said, go give the message out. Revelation 14 is saying, go and give the message that the hour, that judgment has begun. And then Revelation 19, you have the second coming of Christ. And then Revelation 20, it says all the saints are in heaven and they judge, judge. again. Judge again. And then you get to the end of Revelation 20 and then... Great the, white throne judgment. Yep. The And the wicked is destroyed. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty simple. Yeah. It is, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing how things on, on earth that human beings think that they have invented are actually modelled after the government of God. Yeah. Even you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like you go to court, uh-huh. you can then appeal, mm-hmm. and then you can appeal again to a higher court. Even in the sanctuary system, that this is being modelled off and he's using it as, as an illustration for what actually takes place, was given by God as an illustration. Like, so up until Yom Kippur, there's this separation that takes place amongst the people. Like, up until... The, you know, the sacrifice is made. It's like if your sins are inside the sanctuary, you're deemed as righteous. If you don't sacrifice and your sins aren't inside the sanctuary, you're deemed as wicked. So there's an investigation that takes place. The sacrifice is made, like, uh, you know, to cleanse the sanctuary. The judgment is executed afterwards. And it's like, okay, then the separation between the people is solidified. So that, that's like this review period. And then afterwards, they execute that judgment by everyone who didn't sacrifice and has known sin attached to them and didn't put it in the sanctuary by sacrificing, you know, didn't remove their sins and repent. Then they kicked out of the camp. Like, again, we just see this model, like, from the start to the end of the Bible, like, from, from the type to the explanation of the type to the prophetic interpretation of what would happen in, you know, the anti-type, the real. It's just like, oh, yeah, investigation, you know, execution. And then, so it's very clear. Mm. All right. A couple of text messages coming through here very quickly, and I absolutely agree with you. Um, And so does one of our texts here. He says, glad we are on the same page on the judgment. Started in 1844. Proves uh, the biblical understanding is correct. Mm. And, you know, so often I've had, you know, people who who don't want to believe in a pre-advent judgment, and they go, I'll read Hebrews 9. That's what we're doing. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. It's like, okay, uh, you challenge me to read a passage of the Bible, I will read it. <laughs> yes, I love that. You know, and, and I love sometimes, you know, some of our uh, our texters, they will they will send through that challenge. I, I dare you to read this passage of the Bible on Faith FM. And Thank then we you. do. <laughs> it's the Bible. I will read it. I will read it. You know, a good friend up there in uh, Coffs Harbour sends me those challenges, and they're always the best, you yeah. know, because it's the Word of God. Mm. Yeah, but this is this is something that we're running to a lot in the Christian world. Like I, you know, working at a uni, and it's interesting because the, most of the students that I do Bible studies with and and meet there, you know, they're like educated people. Sometimes they're they're Christian already. Sometimes they're skeptical. They're atheists. Uh, then sometimes I, I have a friend at the moment who I, who I who I do Bible studies with, and I talk to about these things who I've run into, and he's like a real you know real devout guy, really biblically literate, and you know he sends me Bible verses, and he's like read this one and tell me what you think. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so you got, you got, I understand you got challenged to read, what was it, Romans chapter 9. Like, ah, yeah. oh, read Romans chapter 9. And, and, and so Lawson's like, ah, oh, okay. And, 
we sat here after the radio program yesterday and Lawson starts to read Romans chapter 9 and he's like, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm like, this is oh, amazing. this totally defends like, <laughs> my position that, that he's trying to attack. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. But ultimately, like what it shows is, I love I love this point so much, I, and I think like this is the reason why I became a Christian is because we can investigate what That's the right. Bible That's says. What it's all like about. we don't Get need to it. believe by cutting off parts of the Bible, but by reading it, by understanding yes. it, and yes. we will come to a fuller and clearer picture of God's word. Yes. Oh, so good. It's like people who don't believe in you know the law of God. And they're like, go read the book of Galatians. Like, okay, <laughs> challenge accepted. I, I read it. <laughs> <laughs> the best. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. I'm pretty pretty sure you just said that on air. Did I say that on air? We're talking about taking cars apart. (laughs) We're talking about selling car parts. Uh, It's a great song. We should have been listening to it. But anyway, we weren't. We're talking about selling car parts. Yes. All right, Lawson, go for it. (laughs) All right, for 500 points. What was David's daughter's name? Wait, doesn't David have like lots of daughters? Okay, well, if you can name name this one, what was David's daughter's? What was the name of David's daughter? Yeah, just name one. Just name one. Zero four nine one. We've got a name here. Hopefully, you write it in. Zero four nine one. I can only think of the name of one. Okay. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you know the answer. And for five hundred points, you can win our prize this morning, uh, which I believe is the book Sanctuary: The Sanctuary and Salvation. Oh. The Sanctuary and Salvation by Roy Gain. The Practical Significance of Christ's Sacrifice and Priesthood. Roy Gain is one of the leading authorities in the world on the topic of the sanctuary mm. in, and how it applies to Christianity. Like, this guy is legit. If you want to know more about the sanctuary, this book is the one for you. The Sanctuary and Salvation, pra- The Practical Significance of Christ's Sacrifice and Priesthood by Roy Gain. 0491 was the name of David's daughter. Okay, text message here. Satan is using the elements of nature to destroy the world by using <clears throat> it like his <sighs> laboratory. Oh, wow. That's a pretty heavy statement. I'll give that one text of the day until someone can beat it. Well, we're just looking out the window at the moment and it's just oh, it's blowing just, just a gale. It's just bucketing. Yeah. Absolutely bucketing here in mm. Newcastle. Uh, which it was supposed to do yesterday, and it never did, praise God. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 9 and have a look at where we were up to. Um, and where did we get up to yesterday? Uh, I, mean, we, I know we just looked at this uh, this verse here in verse 27. Um, we went through, I think, 13, 14, 15. 16. I think we're up 16. to 16, yeah. All right, let's read verse 16 and 17, please. Now, when the person leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death, while the person who made it is still alive. The will cannot be put into effect. Okay, so let me read it from my translation. The Bible says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator, for a testament is a force after men have dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. So we're talking about a last will and testament. Mm -hmm. That's the context of what we're talking about in this particular passage. And this is something we all understand. I mean, I imagine that your dad has probably left you some stuff in his will. Your mum has probably left you some stuff in her will. I hope so. I think there's, you know, for some of us, there's going to be more. For others of us, there's going to be kind of... Yeah, it depends how good of a sudden you were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and some people like, well, we don't want our kids fighting over the wheel, so they just leave it to charity, and I respect that as well. Hmm. 
I, I have no idea where I stand in the will of uh, my parents or my in-laws, but uh, what their last will and testimony is their will, not mine. Mm. And we need to respect that. The dumbest thing you can ever do is start a legal battle over a will. Oh, yeah, because like you 1% always of them, lose. 1% of them succeed or less. <clears throat> you always lose. Mm. Lawyers never lose. Oh, yeah, they just get paid. They, they're just like, yes, of course <laughs> I'll contest this oh, will. Oh, you oh. have a case here. <laughs> and then they laugh all the way to the bank. That's what they do. Let's mm-hmm. go over to the book of Galatians, mm-hmm. chapter 3 uh-huh. and verse 15. In Galatians 3 and verse 15, the Bible says, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. Okay, so in my translation it says this, uh, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be a man's covenant, Mm -hmm. yet if if it is confirmed, no man disannuls or adds to it. Mm -hmm. So uh, the word testament and the word covenant are the same word. Really? Yes, Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New, New Covenant. Uh, these words are interchangeable. Um, and so when you have, you know, how is a covenant confirmed? It's confirmed by the death of the person who makes that covenant. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why a will is so strong. It's because the person who made it is now dead. Mm-hmm. While the person is alive, you can they can change it. You can go to them and say, look, you know, I'd really like you to leave that car to me in your will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can change their mind. But once they are dead, it is sealed, and that's what it makes it such a strong thing. Mm. Now, if we look at the covenants and we look at the old covenant and we look at the new covenant, the old covenant was sealed with death, the yeah. death of a bull. Yeah, that's right. The new covenant was sealed with death, the death of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Once the new covenant has been sealed, can you change it? Uh, no. No, you can't. And so there's some interesting, there's some interesting things that you find um, that Jesus does before he dies. Mm. Some interesting things that Jesus establishes, for instance, the communion service. Yeah, wow. You know, you think about that. He's holding the communion service. He's saying, this is my blood, this is my body, and the disciples have no idea what he's talking about. Mm. That is like, what a... Just, just random words coming out of Jesus' mouth. We have no idea what this means. Mm-hmm. And, and then he establishes it as a, a ceremony, a service to be continued. He's like, mm. do this in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. You know, do this into the future. And once again, his disciples would be thinking, what is he even talking about? This is my body. This is my blood. This makes no sense whatsoever. It would have made much more sense if Jesus had come back after the resurrection mm. and sat down and said, okay, let's have a communion service. Let me show you what I want you to do. This is how we have a communion service, and this is what the wine symbolizes, this is what the bread symbolizes, and mm-hmm. this is why it symbolizes that. And the disciples have gone, yeah, we get that. That makes sense. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But he doesn't do it after the resurrection mm. because the resurrection was three days too late. Yeah, wow. Well. He does it beforehand, even though he knows the disciples don't understand. He's like, yeah, well, they'll figure it out. He does it beforehand because once the new covenant is sealed, you can't change anything. Mm. And by establishing the communion service, Jesus is changing something. The communion service never existed before in the past. This is something new that is being added to the covenant. Mm. It's a new service added to the covenant. 
Yeah, there's a lot of other services like, you know, marriage and so forth. But, yeah, uh, but these baptism, are all institutions. They've all been around for a long time. Yeah. But this one is brand new. Mm-hmm. Why does Jesus do it when he does it? Because he knows he cannot do it on Sunday, on the resurrection day, mm-hmm. because it would be too late. There you go. The covenant is sealed. Okay, so on that thought, here's my question. Uh, from time to time, I have, uh, you know, we're Seventh-day Adventists here, so that means we worship on Saturday. From time to time, I have people come to me and say, yeah, but we worship on Sunday, which is the uh, the New Covenant Day of Worship. Or they might say something along the lines of, well, you know, we worship on Sunday because we do that in honour of the resurrection. Mm. Or people say we keep a Sabbath whenever we want, whether it's Sunday yeah, yeah. or whatever, because, right. you know, we have that liberty. That's right. And so the question is, okay, we've already established from Scripture that if you're going to change anything, it has to be changed before the death of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's clear. The Bible says that. We understand that. We get that. Uh, then changing one of the Ten Commandments, that's kind of big, mm-hmm. bigger than establishing a new ceremony. Mm. And so wouldn't Jesus have to do that before he died? Yeah. Why is it when when you ask Christians why do why, why do you worship on Sunday? Universally they give me this answer. We worship on Sunday in honor of the resurrection. And universally the moment they state that, they state that Sunday is not a part of the new covenant. Mm. It came three days too late. That's to right. be part of it was it is absolutely impossible for Sunday to be a part of the new covenant. Sabbath was sealed as a part of the old covenant mm-hmm. when Jesus died without changing it. And this is like the question. It's like, okay, then, so is there a place in the Bible where Jesus showed up and was like, just before he died, he was like, all right, guys, everyone, we're not going to keep the Sabbath anymore. And the answer is no. It's <laughs> like, just not it's there. It's just like, I'm trying to find it. Like, I, I've, you know, I've been looking for the last six years, like, and it's just not there. Okay. All right, so there's a challenge for you. If you can find it, then uh, let us know. Let us Our know, number please. is uh, 0491064669. That's a challenge for you all, uh, but something that comes out very, very clearly here in Hebrews chapter 9. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Lawson is over there trying to get his life sorted out in the other corner of the studio and give us some answers for the quiz. So, Lawson, are you up and running there yet? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. What do you mean? Look at me. I'm, I'm winning. I'm perfect. For some reason, that microphone over there has very different sound to the one that's close to me. Is it even switched on? Um, I think it's because Shell might not have switched it on, but now I, it's switched I, I on. A, I got a suspicion she didn't even switch it on yesterday, didn't I? <laughs> That's all right. But right now, okay, let's run through some quiz answers. For 100 points, the answer was cheerful. For 200, cedar. For 300, it was 700. For 400, 1,000. And for 500, the answer was tamer. All right. It is now time for... Well, it will be time for something. Question of the day. All right, that's... Excellent. Okay, Lyle, question of the day today is, uh, according to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14 to 17, what is the new and what is the old? Okay, so we read beginning in verse 14. The Bible says, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? Uh, But your disciples don't fast at all. Jesus said, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they will fast. 
And then he goes on, and this is the part that the question really focuses on. What's the new? What's the old? No man puts a piece of new cloth onto an old garment. For that which is put in to fill it up takes from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old wine bottles, or else the bottles will break, and the wine will run out, and the bottles will perish. But they put new wine in new bottles, and both are preserved." Okay, so what is the new and what is the old as we read this in this particular context right here? So the Pharisees have, and the disciples of John, have a tradition of fasting. Now, the Bible doesn't specify how often you should fast. The Pharisees specified uh, a number of times, and you know many of them would fast twice a week. This is a tradition. It is not a part of the Bible. And there's nothing particularly wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with fasting. When Jesus came along and Jesus was with his disciples, Jesus was like, no, we're not going to do this thing. Once I'm gone, then go ahead and fast and pray. But for now, you know, we've got work to do. We're just going to get out and do our thing. And we're not going to be fasting while I'm here. Okay, so what does it all symbolize then when it comes down to what Jesus talks about here? Really what you've got is this. You've got tradition versus the word of God. The Pharisees were following very, very strictly their traditions, and they had made their traditions a part of their religion. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you can't take these old traditions that are not a part of, you know, of, of, of what it means to be a follower of God and stitch them into the new covenant that I'm establishing right now. So you've got old covenant, new covenant right here. The old covenant and the traditions that they were following was salvation by works. The new covenant is salvation by grace. And what Jesus is saying very simply is you can't blend the two together. So you can't blend salvation by grace and salvation by works together because uh, you know that's simply not going to work. You can't have a, a, a dual religion where it's like, well, you know, we're saved 50% by works and 50% by grace. Why? Because that religion will just tear itself apart. Uh, you can only say that we are saved by grace in the New Covenant. Well, no one's actually saved by works in the Old Covenant. Only anyone is ever saved by grace. Uh, but a lot of people believed in being saved by works. So don't go blending grace and works together. Now, of course, there are from that a whole bunch of other lessons that we can learn. So that's, that's the basic understanding of what the Old and the New here is. Uh one of the one of the illustrations that we can draw from this is you can't blend the old life and the new. So for the Pharisees, when they're coming from an old life of works into a new life of grace, when they give their lives to Jesus Christ, you can't blend your old life with your new. In the same way when somebody comes from paganism or someone in our day comes from secularism, you can't bring your old life into your new. You can't bring all of the old habits and practices and lifestyles of your secular life or your non-religious life or even a previous religion, whatever that might be, and say, you know what, I'm going to be half Christian, half Buddhist. No, because you are blending the old and the new together and that can't be done. Or I'm going to be you know, half Christian and half whatever else it might be that you are coming from. Okay, so you've got that aspect coming through there as well. Let's not be blending our old life and our new Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.